As we look at the structure of what we have come to call the Lord's Prayer, we're able to see very readily that there is a particular ordering of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. There is an order that seems to have a a theological impetus, but also a logical flow as well. Most commentators, when they look and dissect the Lord's Prayer, they would suggest that there are six discernible petitions. Now, some might say seven, but readily six petitions can be gleaned from the Lord's Prayer. And you can divide these petitions in half. The first three petitions are primarily concerned with God and His glory. With God and His glory. And the latter three petitions are concerned with man and his need. And as I consider my own habits to prayer, I find myself struck by how often I pray to God because of my personal needs. That is to say, something bad happens to me. And it inspires me to pray. To pray about that thing that happened to me that I'm, I'm not sure what to do with. Or something confronts me. Something lies ahead of me in the future that gives me cause for worry or anxiety. And so I pray about it. Or I find that I'm missing something. I find myself lacking something. And so I turn to the Lord in prayer. I'm often driven to prayer by a deep sense of what I need to get from God. Well, what we learn from the Lord's Prayer a bit later on is it's quite acceptable to pray about these things. It's quite acceptable to go to God and to talk to Him about what you need. But what bothers me about my own approach to prayer is that my personal need of certain things tends to be what drives my prayer. That the reason I am most inspired to pray on most days is because I need something. And yet what I discern from the structure of the Lord's Prayer is a particular ordering of things that is meant to say something about how I should prioritize. That is to say, before I come to God with my list of wants and my list of needs, I must first come to God with a sincere interest and a sincere passion for His glory. This intentionality of order is confirmed later on in the chapter, in verse 33, where Jesus says, Seek first His kingdom. Seek first His righteousness. And all these other things, the things you think you need, they will be given to you. But I fear that so many Christians have the order reversed. We give ourselves first to our earthly toils and cares, to our daily job, to our household responsibilities. We give ourselves first to our earthly cares, pledging to God, Oh, I'll get to you, Lord. Just let me look after this. Let me look after that. Once I'm done the to-do list, once I've covered my family's needs, then I'm going to come to you in prayer. 
But then along comes Jesus, who says that we've turned everything upside down and explains that the way we get these secondary things is by first pursuing the primary. It's counterintuitive. We get the things that we need for our personal well-being not by pursuing those needs. But we get those things that we need by pursuing God who has the ability to give us everything we truly need. I began scrolling through the pages of my own life looking for times and seasons where that principle was true. Times and seasons in my own life where I found it to be true that when I pursued God first, what I needed was also provided. And I found this principle to be true and most evident in the MacPhail's decision to leave Canada and to make the Bahamas our home in order that I would be the pastor of St. Andrew's Kirk. You see, when the invitation came to me to apply to be the pastor of this church, an invitation that came nearly four years ago, I must confess to you that as I initially weighed the invitation to come, I weighed the invitation to come with purely worldly measurements. Worldly measurements. As I began to count the literal cost of coming here, the financial cost of moving here, the personal, social cost of coming here, and for Allie, the vocational cost of closing up her, her work in Toronto and moving here. As we counted up all that we would have to give up and sacrifice, I found myself hesitating. Quite frankly, it gave me great pause. And I won't speak for Allie, but I think she would choose a word much stronger than hesitating. But as the process lingered, we found ourselves able to at least suspend our thoughts regarding the worldly cost of moving here. And our prayers began to change. We began to make new and different petitions to God about the possible transition of moving here. We began to offer up petitions like, Would this move bring glory to God? Would this move from Canada to the Bahamas, would it do something to benefit the kingdom of God? Would this move do something to help a congregation in downtown Nassau? You see, as our focus shifted away from what we wanted and what we needed, and as we began to focus more on God and His glory, I can tell you that great clarity emerged and that the doors of providence burst open. I found myself humbled and inspired by how God opened the door for us to walk through. Now I don't mean to say that the transition suddenly became easy. I don't mean to say that the personal costs ceased to be a factor. 
But I can say this to you with much joy and thanksgiving. My God has supplied all my needs according to his riches in glory. And I want to tell you it's not a dangerous thing. It's not a risky thing to suspend personal need for the sake of the Lord and his kingdom. It's not a dangerous thing. It's not even a risky thing to suspend personal need for the sake of the Lord and his kingdom. In fact, Jesus tells us this is the most sensible way to live. That this, this is truly living when we live first for God. And I suspect this is precisely why the Lord's Prayer begins with such a God-centered emphasis. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Last Sunday, we spent a lot of time going through what it means to hallow God's name. And I get a bit embarrassed when I see I can summarize last Sunday's message in two sentences. And there's a bunch of you saying, well, I wish you would have last Sunday. We would have got home and I would have had a longer lunch. I would have got settled on the couch. And you can preach a sermon in two sentences. Well, here we go. Last Sunday's message. What does it mean to hallow God's name? This means we must be careful to speak and to behave in a manner that honors God. We must be careful to speak and behave in a manner that honors God. Or to put it another way, how we get on in this world as followers of Christ reflects back on the name of Christ. And we talked about uh, those of us who have children. We want the best for our children. We want them to be smart and successful and happy. And we want all these things for their sake in part. But if we're honest, we want our children to be all these things in part for the glory of our own name. Because they carry our name. We want them to be successful because it reflects back on us. So how we get on in this world as Christians reflects back on the name of Christ. How we live either brings honor to Christ or brings shame to Christ according to how we live. So then I begin to ask the question, why don't I honor God as I ought? I look in the mirror, I see a guy who's trying, but I see a guy who's failing much of the time. And I ask myself, why am I not as faithful as I want to be? Why am I not as devout as I ought to be? And the second petition of the Lord's Prayer gives us a hint as to what the answer is. And the hint is this. There is another kingdom. There is another kingdom. There is a kingdom of darkness that we don't like to talk about, but it's there in the scriptures. Spoken about more commonly by Jesus than anyone else. There's another kingdom. And in this kingdom, it's ruled by an enemy who wants us to be governed by a different set of principles. And these principles oppose God and His will. There is another kingdom which is asserting itself against all that is good and holy. And so our predicament, the human predicament, is that we live between two worlds. We live between two kingdoms that are at war with one another. We don't like to think about living in a context of war. 
It kind of frightens us if we think about the invisible realities that are all around us spoken about in Scripture. It spooks me a bit. And maybe it terrifies you as well. But if we spend any amount of time thinking about the presence of evil in this world, we will not be able to deny that there is another kingdom. Think geographically with me. Think of a country like Syria and what they've been through in their civil war over the last couple of years. Think about the country of Sudan and Iraq and Afghanistan where senseless and brutal killing appears to be most prevalent. But we could also confine our observations to this country. We could think about the Bahamas and note how our own citizens... Our own citizens have been victims of evil in its various forms. There is another kingdom that we are exposed to even here. And I don't need to spell out the incidents. The daily newspapers are very good at detailing the evil in its various forms that exist in this country and in every country. There is another kingdom which is opposed to God. And as we consider this, we should find ourselves highly motivated to pray, Thy kingdom come. Lord, we're at war. Your kingdom come. What are we praying for when we ask for that? What do we want God to do? What, what does it mean to pray, Thy kingdom come? Well, we understand that we're talking about God's kingdom. We understand that God's kingdom is opposition in this world. But what does it mean for God's kingdom to show up? What will God's kingdom, if it comes, what will that look like? Well, that's not easy to answer with a single phrase. Because as I read the New Testament in particular, the kingdom of God has no less than three manifestations. Or there's no less than three ways or three senses in which we can talk about God's kingdom. The first is this. The first is there's a sense in which God's kingdom has already come. God's kingdom already arrived 2,000 years ago with the ministry of Jesus Christ. You might remember that point in Jesus' ministry when he said to the multitude, If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus said, in effect, the kingdom of God is here right now. And the powers of my kingdom are starting to take control. The kingdom of God has already come. Secondly, we can say that the kingdom of God is a present reality manifested in the lives of those who follow Christ. The kingdom of God is a present reality manifested in the lives of those who currently follow Christ. Those who are being animated by His Spirit. So part of what it means to pray, Thy kingdom come is to pray that God's kingdom and God's principles would rule right here. That in our own hearts, that in our own lives, our will, our affections would be governed by kingdom principles. I know I need to pray in this way. 
I need to pray in this way because my temptation and perhaps your temptation is the same. My temptation is to live for me. My temptation is to govern myself according to my personal preferences. And to choose for myself that which makes me most comfortable. Now we've talked about this before in terms of analogies. So much of our life is normally governed by our own preferences. For instance, take what all of you are wearing today. Now, what you're wearing today is something that you chose to put on. In some cases, maybe your spouse told you, don't wear that, wear this. You don't look very good in that, put this on. But most of us, in complete freedom and independence from others, put on something that suited me. Something that made me feel comfortable. Something that made me look good. Well, what did you have for breakfast? Did did you just call up someone randomly, bring over whatever you like, I'll eat whatever? No, you chose to eat something that you delighted in. We don't normally seek out to eat things we don't like. Our entire life is governed by making ourselves comfortable. And there's a danger in this. Because there are parts of our life that need to be governed by God. There are parts of our life where our own preferences need to be set aside. Our own comforts need to be suspended. And what we need is for the kingdom of God to come into us. That the Lord would rule over our heart. That the Lord would transform our affections. That the Lord would govern our will and our decision making. That the Lord would make us more like Him. So the biblical testimony is that the reign of God or the kingdom of God has already arrived in the ministry of Christ. That's the first sense. It's also true to say the kingdom of God continues to influence society, continues to influence this world through people like us. When we are marked by Christ, when we are animated by His Spirit, we advance God's purposes and kingdom in this world. But there is a third sense in which we can talk about God's kingdom. The Bible also indicates that a day is coming where the kingdom of God will be permanently established. The kingdom of God will be permanently established. And our hymn that we just sung captured it beautifully. A day when Jesus shall reign, where'er the sun does its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. Friends, there will be a glorious day when every kingdom opposed to Christ will be routed. There will come a day when everything that is unholy and evil will be eradicated from our existence. A day when every disease that attacks the human body will be removed. A day when sin will be permanently eradicated. A day when every form of evil will be triumphed over. And even death, the final enemy, will be defeated. And wanting that day, Wanting a context without pain and sin and suffering and death. Wanting that kind of existence to be permanently established. We pray, Thy kingdom come.
Thy kingdom come. Come into my life. Come into this world. Change this place forever. I almost want to leave it there. But I believe the third petition to the Lord's Prayer helps us to the finish line this morning. And I don't want to give an entire sermon to the third petition, so let me see if I can do it in a few sentences, maybe a dozen. Please don't count. I can't be held accountable for how many sentences I need. But I want us to look at the third petition to the Lord's Prayer because I think it is a logical consequence of the second petition. We've already touched on the third petition, Thy will be done, because we've suggested already that if God reigns in our heart, if His kingdom comes into our life, it's going to change our will. It's going to change the way we think and make decisions. So the petition, Thy will be done, is a consequence of the second petition being answered by God. And the second petition is a logical follow-up to the first. Because we want God's name to be hallowed, His kingdom comes. And because His kingdom has an effect on us, then His will starts to be done in our life and in this world. But what I find particularly striking about the third petition is the qualifier that Jesus adds to it. The qualifier that Jesus adds to it. That is to say, we're not simply to pray, God, I sure hope your will gets done. Lord, uh, not, not my will, your will be done. That's not all there is to the prayer. But Jesus says that God's will is to be done in a particular way. God's will is to be done in a particular manner. He says, thy will be done on earth in the same way it's done in heaven. Well, that begs an obvious question. Well, how does God's will get done in heaven? If the whole key to living a Christ-honoring life is to do His will on earth in the exact same way it gets done in heaven, well, how do we do that? Well, think of the angels in heaven. How do you think that interaction went with the angel Gabriel? Excuse me, Gabriel, I have an assignment for you. You know, the Savior, the Messiah, my son, is going to be sent into this world, and I want you to go brief them on the game plan. You don't imagine Gabriel going, Oh, I'm really busy. I've got to look after these other junior angels, and they're causing me all kinds of... No, we don't imagine that. We imagine an angel from heaven getting an assignment from God, and it's their great delight. It's their great honor. And they jump at the chance to serve their king, the king of angels. Well, do you imagine that the king of kings needs to stir and motivate the heavenly host? Do you imagine that there is a pulpit in heaven where God ascends to the pulpit and he has a group of angels that he has to motivate to do certain things? No. The angels naturally want to do God's will. The angels instinctively want to do God's will. The angels delight in doing God's will. And so what I want us to hear this morning is that how we worship God and how we serve God matters immensely. It's not enough that we do a few things. It's not enough that we serve in a few ways. But how we do this 
The Christian church is God's chosen agency to manifest His kingdom principles in this world. And my great fear is that while we may know what those principles are, we're not doing His will on earth in the same way it's done in heaven. My fear is that we're not taking up the manner of the mission. And so the world is repelled by us. Because we're not taking up kingdom principles delightfully. We're not taking up kingdom assignments naturally or instinctively. We're needing sermons. We're needing arm twisting. We're needing all kinds of motivation from books and all kinds of contexts. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One thing I've become accustomed to living here in the Bahamas is that we like to talk about the state of affairs in the Bahamas. And from what I've observed, there's no shortage of people to blame. It's not hard to look around and say it's his fault. It's their fault. It's her fault. See what they did? That's not the Christian response. The Christian response is to pray. Thy kingdom come. Come into me. Come into them. I want to blame them, Lord, but maybe if you would change them, they would change the world. Maybe if you would change me, I would change the world. As Christians, let's not enter in the blame game. Let's pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In my life, as it is in heaven. Amen.